Hi, I'm Megan Skidmore, and this is the Beyond the Shadow of Doubt. I'm a woman, daughter, sister, spouse, mother, life coach, and person of faith on a mission to normalize asking questions and allowing doubts, not only in a faith journey, but in all aspects of life. Join me in bringing this traditionally taboo topic out of the shadows of shame and into the light. I'm a firm believer that we normalize through more talking and engaging in discussion. More talking peels back, exposes, and erases the layers of shame associated with questions and doubts. When we're more authentic about our journey, we are more powerful because shame has no power in the face of authenticity. Come join me in Hopeful Spaces, a Dallas Hope Charities component of Hopeful Discussions, which is sponsored by Mercedes-Benz Financial Services USA. Hopeful Spaces is a monthly parent, caregiver, and ally support group facilitated by Megan Skidmore Coaching. To join is free. Simply send an email to chc at dallashopecharities.org. Welcome, and thanks for joining for part two of my interview with Papa Ostler. We pick up where we left off talking about powerful principles of ministering. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and follow the Beyond the Shadow of Doubt podcast. Also, don't forget to enter my podcast giveaway, where the first prize is a $100 gift card. To do so, simply leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Upload a screenshot to my Google Doc. All the details and the link to enter, including the Google Doc, is in the show notes or in the bio of my Instagram profile. One thing that this journey has really taught me, being an LGBTQ plus mama, is I've really learned better what it means to see things through what I call eternal eyes. uh, Wow. To look and focus way less on the external, you know, things like hair, clothes, even piercings, tattoos, interests, um, behaviors, all of those things that are more obviously seen because they're external versus looking and seeing the heart, which takes more effort. And, And that's what you're talking about. You know, you were able to see the good, see good things in people, regardless of their life circumstances, which does create or or helps to create this safe space. And like you said, you had individuals share more significant um, problems that they were having in their life with you because they knew you were a safe person. And I think that's something we can definitely do in our homes. Your your own father did it with your your brother. I love that, Megan. And you know this, and some of the most painful things a parent feels is an active LDS parent is when one of their children leaves. And moms may feel that a little bit more than dad, and it's grief. And I validate that grief. But I think, um, and a lot of moms may feel, well, this is my fault. They have the vending machine sort of feeling that if I put in the right, if I do all the right things, um, someday I'm going to press C2, and I'm going to get C2. And a lot of the other moms in the ward press C2 and they get C2, which is a kid that goes on a mission and gets married in the temple and stays active. But I got D4 and it just popped out of the vending machine and I put in <laughs> all the right coins and press the right numbers. And then they think I did something wrong. Yeah. And they sort of go through this whirlpool of, of, and it becomes really hard for them because they wonder about their eternal family. They're wondering about their parenting and 
Um, like you have done a lot of podcasts with LDS parents that have children that have left the church and they kind of get to this point, there's grief and there's pain, but then through the atonement and sometimes through therapists, they get to this deep acceptance that says, my job is to love, his job is to save. There's an Ensign article with that title. And then it's relieving because they go, I can love. And my job is not to control my kids' choices, even though I'd like to. Um, We believe in agency. My job is to love and preserve the relationship, not to control the outcome. And then they get to this sort of spiritual maturity that they're okay going to church and seeing other kids and other families go on missions and stay active in the church, even where their experience is different. And they get in this space, which is really a healthy space, but it takes work and it's not easy and it's not linear. But our gospel should give parents the best peace in this space because that kiddo that's left the church is our heavenly parents' child first. And I believe they want to do everything they can to get that kid back. And I think they're going to continue to keep door open in the next life as long as that kid wants to continue to progress. And so I don't think LDS parents should have fear of empty chairs at the table in the next life if they have kids that have left the church in this life. They should have hope in this beautiful plan of salvation and loving heavenly parents and say, I'm going to leave this at the feet of the Savior. I'm going to let the atonement heal my broken heart. Um, There's no sin involved for the atonement to heal, at least in the parents' part. And so that's, that's just advice to parents that are navigating this place of pain. If somebody you love, it may be a sibling, it may be a parent that's left the church and just have no empty chairs around the table in this life. That's relieving sometimes, but be kind to yourself if that's the road you're walking. And if you've got young kids at home, I still think you do all the right things, but in the back of your mind, you know that these kids are going to be exercise agency and that agency may take them in roads that they need to walk to, uh, to have the full experience they're going to have in mortality and, and be, be at, peace. at peace with that, even Sorry. though it's very different than what you hoped. Everything you're saying is, is just resonating with me. I, I love the vending machine analogy. Uh, I think it's easy for parents to see the D4 and think so many things have gone wrong. However, when you can begin to try on these eternal eyes, I know for me, I, I learned that everything has gone right. And I, like you, I would not trade this journey for anything. I believe our heavenly parents see and know the inherent value in the learning and in the growth and in the development that happens when and because agency is honored. There's no, there's no growth. There's no stretching of oneself. If you're truly not, uh, Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? If you're truly not moving or acting from a place of whatever is aligned for you in that moment. And it's, there's millions and millions of people that tells me that it's just going to be different for everybody at whatever, you know, stage in life they are in. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. I think actually, I think it's great. And um, to me, Zion used to be sameness. Um, I grew up Back to your original question, I grew up in a very homogeneous area. I think everybody was married, everybody was Caucasian, everybody was 
um, legal. Everybody lived in a Rambler home. I think as far as I knew, everybody was politically conservative and straight. And I thought that was Zion. <laughs> and now I think Zion is unity and taking all these differences, which are a good thing. Uh, my wife and I are in a split political marriage. When we were dating, um, we found out we were in different political parties 34 years ago. We are still in different <laughs> political parties. Our marriage hasn't been defined by trying to change that about us. We're not keeping score with where the kids are ending up politically, but we actually think it's better for um, we are unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ and we have differences politically. And we look at our congregation as not an extension of our political party. It's a higher, holier law where we come together in the gospel of Jesus Christ and we support and honor and maybe even cherish differences. It's possible the city of Enoch had differences, tribal customs, feelings about water and land, but we know they were unified and there were no poor among them. And maybe some of those differences, I'm not a Bible scholar, helped them do more than they could have done. So sameness really feels good to us. Yeah. And dif diversity feels different to us sometimes, but I think it's part of a higher, holier law. I'd like to speak a little bit about you parents that are raising LGBTQ kids. Um, I like to talk about the bottom of the iceberg. Some of you that have junior high or high school kids are wondering, is this just a phase? I've got a trans kid or a bi daughter, and is this just a phase? And I generally don't think it's a phase, but I think one of the things that I invite you to think about or a therapist to help you is to figure out what's at the bottom of the iceberg. What's at the top of the iceberg is what you're seeing and how they're identifying either with gender identity or sexual orientation. The bottom of the iceberg, in my experience, is sexual orientation or gender identity, um, trans, um, gender dysphoria. But there's some where the bottom of the iceberg is the need to belong, and that's driving kind of a short-term identification that isn't representative of their true sexual orientation or gender identity. Now, in saying that, I don't want what I just said to be weaponized against people that are truly trans or gay or bi, um, but I think everybody needs to go slow. But 90, I mean, we've I've met with a thousand people probably at this point that are LGBTQ, and I have very few experiences of people that later say I wasn't. Um, LGBTQ, that this was a short-term thing. So this seems like the bottom of the iceberg. People don't want to be queer. They want to be straight, and it makes life harder for them. They do anything oh. to be straight. So I just, you know, and then the other thought I have is I used to kind of think that something went wrong, that our heavenly parents are up there going, oh, no, what went something went wrong. One of my, one of my children is not straight. And I don't think they feel that way. I think everybody needs to feel they're created as intended. And they need to look in the mirror, straight or queer, and not think any part of them is a mistake. Because I think Satan's, one of Satan's greatest, greatest tools is to separate us in the love of God. And if, if we're straight, we generally don't feel bad about being straight. <laughs> Society supports straight people. But if we're queer um, and we recognize you know, that in us, it can often make us feel ashamed and embarrassed. And society says mean things about us. And church culture says mean things. And so we think God yeah. doesn't love us either. 
And so we quit believing that God could love us too. And and I think God loves his queer children. I don't think they're a mistake. I don't think that changes doctrine or teachings. It just puts everybody on the same moral footing that they're a beloved child of heavenly parents. So Meg, Megan, that was kind of a ramble, a shift on you. No, I um, hope that I was okay. That. No, it was perfect. I um, You said a minute ago uh, that Zion you know, can, is defined as no poor among them. I think we sometimes just assume that is referring to financial mm. situations. But for me, when I think of no poor among them, I guess it's just in me as a life coach and um, a, a trained school counselor as well. It includes the emotional and the mental and the spiritual and even physical aspects of our, our human dimension. And I think in order to build that type of Zion, allowing, you know, creating safe spaces by allowing questions and doubts is really key to doing that. Wow. I also can, wanted can to- Can I just say, wow? Yeah, yeah. Because what sure. you just said, no one has <laughs> ever said to me before. <laughs> and I have talked about no poor among them. And I've heard that taught so many times in my life. And I have thought financial poor. Well, we're what a material you just said, world. Right? What you just said is powerful, and there's so much emotional need right now. There is, um, and there are some emotionally poor among us. There are some mentally poor among us, and they often get marginalized. And I guess it's just because I feel so strongly to be an advocate for the marginalized, that's usually top of mind for me. Some, something else that you said regarding our the, the iceberg analogy regarding our LGBTQ plus siblings and loved ones and family members and their identity. Um, I, I feel that our Q plus folks have been reduced to their sexuality, that society has over time just, just done that. That's, that's all that they are seen for, which is truly unfortunate because those who identify what we call straight, they don't get reduced to who they have intimate relationships with. They don't. And and nobody asks them, when did you know that you were attracted True. to someone of the opposite sex or gender? The reality is our, our queer siblings and family members are just as rich and, and deep and have so much to offer in their gifts and their talents and their abilities and their outlook on life as much or sometimes more than you know, they're just, instead of seeing them as different, I would, my vision for the future would be to just see them as human, to just see us all as humans who have our unique gifts, our unique talents, our unique abilities that make us Richard, or that make me Megan, or that make, you know, your wife, I forget your wife's first name, sorry. Um, Sheila. Sheila. Versus looking at things that define us externally. And dare I say genitalia is one of those, right? And just look at the person on their heart. And unless we can feel comfortable with this idea of asking questions about long held beliefs, I, I truly believe we will, we won't allow that we will not be able, it will inhibit us greatly from creating Zion from creating safer spaces. You have a chapter in your book, your first book, called Ministering to Those with Questions. 
and you you point out in the book through your own experience and then you you quoted one of our leaders about how it is important to acknowledge questions and if i may you said we share our hearts in sacrament meeting about beautiful teachings and the love of our savior it's common for people to say i know at the beginning of their sentences i know god lives i know the church is true i know joseph smith was a prophet but i am aware that many people feel that they cannot say i know with such confidence. And so they don't feel they belong with us. They have questions about doctrines, concerns about church policy, doubts about historical claims. They wonder how people will respond if they open up with their questions. And then you point out how the foundation of the restoration itself was a question. Joseph Smith asked a question. However, you point out he didn't just wake up one morning. He studied and read the scriptures, attended religious services, asked questions of knowledgeable people, and did this for two years prior to receiving such a, a personal spiritual experience. And many church leaders encourage members to ask sincere questions in this same way. And you quoted President Ballard, who wrote it on Facebook, and it was quoted in LDS Living, where he said, there is absolutely nothing wrong with asking questions or investigating our history, doctrine, and practices. The restoration began when Joseph Smith sought an answer to a sincere question. When I have a question that I cannot answer, I often turn to those who can help me, such as trained scholars and historians. Blessed by the information they provide, I am better equipped to seek the guidance of the Holy Ghost. And to those of you offering answers, I say, please do not simply brush the question off. Do not tell him or her or they, I add that, <laughs> to not worry about the question. Please do not doubt the person's dedication to the Lord or his work. Instead, help the person find answers. We need to do better in responding to honest questions. And I will add, I think it would be very human to admit that we don't have all of the answers to all of the questions. Yeah, um, I just love that, Megan. And So, yeah, my, my hope and vision is let's just have great discussions and take the fear take the worry, the judgment, and just connect with one another on what our authentic human experience is. Being vulnerable in that way is really and truly where connection can organically happen in, in my experience, in my opinion. And if you ask Brene Brown, <laughs> she would agree with that definition of, of connection. I'm doing some mini podcasts on on connection and vulnerability coming up. Just one question that I like to um, ask all of my guests the end of, towards the end of our conversation, and that is, what does it mean to you to live beyond the shadow of doubt? Do you have time for me to address a couple subjects before I answer sure. that? Sure, go for it. Just... <laughs> I don't know how long you can go, but um, I wanted to talk about, since this may be released during Pride Month, the Pride flag. Okay, and sure. That's become kind of a political hot potato. And some people look at that as a political Agreed. cause or supporting. But yes, to me, the pride colors or the pride flag are just symbolizing that I'm a safe person. Um, it's back to this, what can I what can I telegraph to people so that they will open up to me? Um, just like I did on my Facebook page. So if someone chooses to put a pride flag up, I have a pride flag in my bio. Let's don't 
question their commitment to the church or to following Jesus, let's look at that as they are wanting to communicate they are a safe person. And it may be straight people that open up to them and say, okay, I can talk to this person about my life because they're just communicating. I think Christ, Christ didn't have a pride flag, but I think he modeled that because he was always with people that people said he shouldn't be with. Um, and we could go through all of those. So my guess is that we lived in Christ's day and saw that firsthand. We go, this is somebody I feel comfortable with and would want to be around and could understand my feelings because of how kind he treats everybody. Absolutely. The s- second thing I'd like to say is just um, LGBTQ people are, I used to think I was the good Samaritan rescuing me, but they have rescued me. Mm-hmm. I said that, I, I think I said that backwards, but I we feel need you. them. We do. Um, they have spiritual gifts, maturity, understanding of the atonement, and we are better off with them and embracing them, acknowledging the difficulties of their lives. And to me, that's part of the body of Christ that Paul talks about Corinthians 12 is all parts of the body are needed and they are needed. And right now they don't feel that way. Generally, the road is harder than straight people. And Without any changes in doctrine, we can do such a much better job to help them feel like they belong and that their authentic self is a good thing. And we're comfortable around trans people and gay people and bi people. We reprogram our minds like I've tried to do is not think of them as another group of people, but as our own people. I love the idea of trap of unearned opinions is I encourage us not to develop opinions about trans people or people that have left the church or people with questions until we talk to a lot of people in those groups. Elder Uchtdorf has said, how often has the Holy Spirit tried to tell us something we needed to know, but couldn't get past the massive iron gate of what we thought we already knew. And you're doing that on your podcast, Megan. And let's be humble enough to be able to say, I don't know. And I need to not form an opinion about trans people until I, um, listen to a lot of trans people. Proximity is key yes, in our journey to minister and support is listen to people. Um, and that may cause us to be uncomfortable. And that often is the changes we need to make in our own selves to be able to better minister to somebody just like I have been trying to do with LGBTQ people. I'd like to, I'm still going to answer your question, but some oh, would sure. say, well, why do you stay in the church? You have challenges with church history, you're not quite at peace with where the church is. And I just, my testimony of the church, as I mentioned, is just, I have a fundamental testimony of unique doctrine that came to the Restoration. That's not only Christian doctrine, but unique to our faith. And that's my anchor. It's the plan of salvation. It's heavenly parents, it's understanding of Adam and Eve, it's um, Christ and his ability to heal and bring hope, it's modern day prophets and priesthood keys. And so that's that's kind of the fundamental um, testimony why I make my way forward with nuance around things I'm not comfortable with. And um, that's just what works for me. If I know some people are looking for a new model to stay in the church, and that's just but I'll never go back into what it was. I'll never go back to my all standing up dominoes. No, you can't. And I wish things. I could because church is painful sometimes. And um, once you but, see certain things, you cannot unsee them. Do That's just and the so, way that it is, you know. And 
So that's just some thoughts I wrote down as you were talking. I just wanted to get on your platform. But now ask that final question again. No, I I appreciate (laughs) that so very much. Everything that you said, and and I'll just add, it is so empowering to identify your dominoes and know what those dominoes are. And that can be an anchor. It really can. You don't have to have all of them to have that anchor. And the final question is, what does it mean to you to live beyond the shadow of doubt? That's a good question, Megan. And I'm not sure I know the answer to that because the shadow of doubt is sort of, you know, we use that. I have a There's no right or beyond. wrong. There's no right or wrong answer. Quite, uh, I think answer I just, question. you know, I just live with doubt and it. I look at it as a good thing, Megan. Okay, yes. um, I agree. Yes. <laughs> I don't we criminalize doubt sometimes culturally. Yes. And yes. Um, I think that causes people not to feel safe to open up. So I think, especially if we're a, in a position of where a voice is heard is to, t- is to normalize doubt by perhaps sharing our own stories. Yeah. I felt impressed to be open about my own mini faith crisis, my periods of doubt, um, because other people perhaps need to hear that. And so let's normalize doubt. If we experience doubt, I think it doesn't create doubt in other people. I think it just creates different spiritual gifts that we come make our way forward. Yes. So I live, you know, beyond the shadow of doubt. And that's the space I'm in. And I expect I'll be in that space as I continue to learn and grow for the rest of my life. That is definitely living beyond this shadow of doubt. That is so beautifully said. I love it so much. I cannot wait for this episode to publish. Ooh, so good. So many, so many wisdoms shared, so many helpful, heartfelt, valid viewpoints. So thank you for imparting those today. Thank you, thank so you very Megan. much. Thank you for your heart and good work. So I just have, I didn't tell you about these. I have a few just for fun questions to get it good. so we can get to know you a little bit that I ask. One to two word answers is all. So do you have a favorite book that you would well, share? I mean, it's a longer answer. I love the scriptures. That would still be my typical answer. But Brene Brown's work, you mentioned her, has yes. probably taken some of the principles from Christ's ministry and sort of activated them in a pragmatic way, um, vulnerability, authentic yes. human connection. So I, would, I, I would sort agree. of... I sort of think she takes the gospel of Jesus Christ and through her expertise makes that, gives me tools mm-hmm. um, to activate that in my life and in, in the communities I'm in. So all of Brene Brown's work, yes. Braving the Wilderness, has been particularly helpful for me. I would agree, whether intentionally or not, there are definitely some wonderful applications to her to her research and studies and, and words. Um, are you an introvert? or an extrovert? Well, I thought I was an extrovert until I did a podcast with an introvert. And then as I'm sitting there listening to her, I go, holy cow, I am an introvert. I've learned that even though I'm comfortable talking in big groups, I'm an introvert. I am probably pretty high on the scale as an introvert. That's awesome. And that is something I've learned in the last 10 years about me. (laughs) I love it so much. (laughs) Uh, Are you a night owl or a morning lark? I am a morning lark, so I, I like to get up and 
go on a walk in pitch black at four in the morning. Oh my goodness. There's nobody out and it's just a long prayer. Maybe that's a combination of the night owl turning into the morning light. True. It's still dark at night. Um, what, who was your favorite artist? Jay Kirk Richards right now. Oh yeah. I've got two his, of his. So he's doing great work. So yes. amazing. He's terrific. Work. Mike Malm I, is another great artist. Our family loves. Yay. Um, I didn't know that. So, so my wife commissioned a painting of the prodigal son, my favorite parable for Christmas and gave me a, a painting from Mike mom with the father hugging the son. It's probably the, my favorite painting in our home. Oh, I love that. Um, do you prefer still or carbonated water or soda? Carbonated. I'm drinking carbonated. a Pellegrino right now. <laughs> you sure are. That's I love Pellegrino, especially with lime or lemon. A celebrity crush. I this is just a standard list of questions I ask all Good. of my guests. <laughs> Do you have a celebrity I don't crush? watch any movies? <laughs> I don't have a celebrity crush. <laughs> that is Isn't just terrible? fine. Sheila is your celebrity crush. I like who's who's a- Angela Lansbury on Murder She Wrote. Oh yes. Who recently passed away. That's my yes. celebrity crush. Okay. I loved I loved Murder She Wrote. I watched that with my grandmother growing up. Your furthest place that you've traveled? Uh, Israel. My wife and I just got back from Israel. It's our second trip there. That geographically is probably the furthest place we've been. Wonderful. On my bucket list. And I tell you, I stood overlooking the road to Jericho and the Good Samaritan, and I thought of trans people. I thought, you know, that parable exists to give us principles for today and how we should treat people today. And I thought of trans people the whole time I was looking at that barren road and thinking who is wounded, not because God wounded them, but because society wounded them. And what's my responsibility to not pass by? So I'm giving you long answers to your short questions. It's okay. Super meaningful. Got me a little choked up there. That's really beautiful. Well, Papa, share with my listeners, our listeners today, where they can find you, how they can connect with you and all the good things. Well, if you're on social media, you can just find me at Papa Osler on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or you can go to PapaOsler.com. And that has um, a couple Ensign articles I wrote and the two books I've written and a link to the podcast that we do. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, which is just the journey I've been taking that started as a YSA bishop with two gay men. I had to listen, which sometimes for men is harder than women. I had to be willing to learn and then I could better love. So beautiful. I could talk to you for another hour or two. This has been wonderful. Again, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know it's busy. You've done over 600 podcast episodes. And so while I've not listened to all of them, the ones I have listened (laughs) to have touched me deeply. Well, thank you, Megan. So thank you for being here and thank you for your good work. Thank you, Megan. Visit meganskidmorecoaching.com where you can find this podcast as well as additional free resources. Check the podcast show notes on any platform for links to sources cited. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram for more and to send me a DM. To help the podcast grow, please follow, rate, and review as well as share it with a friend. 
Beyond the Shadow of Doubt is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network, which is a part of the Dialogue Journal found at dialoguejournal.com forward slash podcast network. Founder Eugene England was a Mormon writer, teacher, and scholar who wrote, My faith encourages my curiosity and awe. It thrusts me out into relationship with all creation and encourages me to enter into dialogue. My hope is that this podcast is an extension of that vision. Thanks for being here. Until next time.